Tonight, if you turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 12, the final chapter, and it is very fitting here for Daniel chapter 12 that the final chapter is also the final act, and it's Israel's deliverance. This chapter is one of those hotly debated chapters that liberal theologians on one side apply to the church, and conservative theologians and those that believe in the inerrant, accurate, and absolutely precise word of God believe that this is still speaking of the nation Israel. And it's actually very easy to discern. But when you begin to symbolically look at your Bible and you don't take anything literally, you can get so far off base that you just begin to spiritualize everything. And the problem with that is you begin to look at these specific events that are mentioned here and you look at how they're translated forward into the New Testament and then applied to the times and days that the church lives in, and you get completely lost because it looks like the Bible's not without error. It looks like there's a couple of different comings of the Lord that are both supposed to be the second coming. You, you begin to have some theologic problems that are irresolvable without going back to the literal translation of Scripture. And so tonight, the final act. And Israel's deliverance. We've seen these two kingdoms, these two princes, very evil princes, uh, these, in essence, these last days times. And I want you to take a journey back with me, back to verse 40 from our last study, because as we always emphasize, you need to keep things in context. Look at verse 40, because verse 1 of chapter 12 is actually just a continuation of what was said in verse 40, because those chapters and verses were not there when this was originally drafted. And so they're there for our benefit. They're there so we can find our place. They're there so in our modern English language especially, because we're kind of a little bit on the short side on attention span. Amen? You know, if I were to tell you, go read the two-page letter of Daniel, you'd go, what? Where are we at? Well, pick it up with the uh, at on page 3, and then you're looking around for the at on page 3. And so for convenience sake, we have chapters and verses. But that should not keep us from reading things in context. Verse 40 in chapter 11, at the time of the end. Keep that in view, because that is the time frame that now the Lord himself, as he speaks here, I believe, uh, to Daniel in a Christophany. He's still the one that's speaking that began back in chapter 10, continues in chapter 11, and finishes chapter 12. So this is none other than the Lord Jesus speaking. Uh, He's already given all of these details of these kings and kingdoms and things that will happen uh, that will lead us to the very end of God's time of the age of grace, And so we come to the first verse of chapter 12. At that time, it refers directly to at the time of the end. So when you look at this, this is not a new time. This is not a different time. 
This isn't a time that we don't know what's going on. This is referring to the time that's in view. And that time is the very end of days. And so as you think on that, then you have chapter 12 properly in context as the last three and a half years of the tribulation. You have it in context as God's final uh, word to Israel. You have it in context of the completion of Joel's chapter 2 and 3. You have it in context of Paul's word to the Roman Christians that one day all Israel will be saved at that time of the end. And now he says at that time. One day, the Jews are going to become a Christian nation. They're going to be saved. They're going to find Messiah. And I think the way things are going in the world, uh, it may not be very long from now. Could happen this week. Maranatha. Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. At that time, the time of the end, let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we study your promises, we have your word of assurance to us. As we will see on Sunday, we are signed and we are sealed and we are delivered forever into your marvelous kingdom of light by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, because of that, No weapon fashioned against us will prosper. We will not taste the wrath that you will pour out on this earth. We will one day inherit the glories of the kingdom in its fullness. And God, one day we're even going to come back with you to rule and reign in righteousness. And until that time, strengthen us, Lord. Encourage us by your word. Build us up. Help us to read our newspapers and watch our television uh, with renewed vigor because we know the end of the story. And so, God, we give you this time. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Who are your people? They are, of course, the children of God. They are Israel. We are adopted into the family of God as New Testament believers But God has a very specific people with whom he has made very specific promises. And it says, and there shall be a time of trouble. Very, very explicit what follows, and you must read it in context. It says, there shall be a time of trouble. And so this time that is spoken of, it will be at the time of the end. And then it is said of that time, at that time, Michael, the great archangel, who has always stood watch. I don't know whether he's the prince of all angels that watch over Israel or not. I do believe that that is a good explanation for it. But we certainly know that more than once he has been assigned to the nation Israel as their protector. And it appears that that is the case here. That great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And notice it says the lineage of your people. It doesn't say just your people because that could have been interpreted to be at that time it was written. But because it says sons, it can be also future. And that is what it is. It's the future sons of your people daughters of your people. 
There shall be a time of trouble, such as since there was a nation, even to that time. In other words, it's going to be an unprecedented time ever since there was a nation. How long has Israel been a nation? Since 1948. Prior to that, they were never a nation. They were a people. They spoke a common language. They were dispersed all over the world. They have been at times in that region of the world. But since Titus sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, they have not been a nation. And so there is a very specific timing that's going to be laid out in this passage for us tonight, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, that at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And so this begins to lay forward for us a time that these people who are Jewish, these people who this passage says are now saved, they have been written, their names in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's the book that's being referred to here, uh, will come into view. And God will begin to deliver them. And it will happen after Israel becomes a nation. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We know that there are and always have been sheep and goats. We know and always have believed and there always has been the saved and the damned. There has always been those who will receive and believe and those who will deny and die. Amen? And so this has to be that we are talking about people who could be saved. It cannot be that you're talking about an ethereal group of people who might have been Old Testament people of faith. This means that they are saved, that there will be some at this point in time who will come out of the dust of the earth, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and contempt. And so those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn to many to righteousness like the stars forever. And so it begins to lay forward uh, who it is that's in view in this last chapter. At that time refers to that time that is also referred to in Jeremiah 30, verse uh, 4 to 11, as the time of Jacob's trouble. We know it is the tribulation of days. It's referred to as in that day. It's referred to as the time of the end. Uh, It is referred to as the time that the Lord will pour out his wrath on the earth. And it's interesting that those who try and take this to liberal side would have you believe that when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple and then it was rededicated in 165 B.C., that from that time forward, this has been fulfilled. Well, that would be kind of impossible being as from that time forward and since that time, it was only until May 14th, 15th, 16th, depending on which date you assign to it, Uh, that Israel became a nation, got back into land, and spoke one language again, which also fulfills the prophetic word regarding the nation Israel. And so it couldn't have been then. And so 
Jesus is our key to here. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24, pick up in verse 15. Now, if you have a problem with commentators, if you have a problem with commentary, if you have a problem with me, this should solve your problem. These words are in red in your Bible, are they not? If you have a red letter one. So they're the words of Jesus. And it says there in Matthew 24, And so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, would that not be an impossible situation for Jesus to have spoken that someplace around 500 years after Daniel wrote these words and fully 200 years after Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple in Jerusalem? When you see it. Jesus says it hasn't happened yet. So it was future in Jesus' time. He goes on to say, Let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof go down to his house or take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be, verse 21 says, great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world unto now, and never will be equaled again. So from Jesus' perspective, Jesus said it was not Antiochus Epiphanes slaughtering a pig in the temple. It has to be a time that was future from the time of Jesus. And it has to be, according to Daniel, a time in which Israel is a nation again. Israel would cease to be a nation after Jesus in A.D. 70 when the temple is sacked, Jerusalem is sacked, and they're dispersed. And so it's still yet future. At that time, Michael will rise up. In some way, I believe that Revelation chapter 12 gives us that picture. Daniel chapter 11 gave us the same picture uh, of Michael protecting supernaturally. Maybe he's the guide, I don't know, that gets the Jewish people out of the land of Israel and into Edom, into Moab, uh, into the rock city of Petra. Uh, because we know that from what Zechariah says, uh, there in Zechariah chapter 13, that two-thirds of the nation Israel will be wiped out in the, in the last days. Still hasn't happened. It had to be future because of what Jesus said. It had to be beyond Daniel's time because of what Daniel said. It still lies future because since they became a nation, never in a period of time has there been distress like the world has never seen, and two-thirds of the nation Israel has not been wiped out since that time. So it is ahead of our time. Very important to keep this in context. Evidently, I believe a majority of the Israelis will not flee I, I think unlike Christians who would be living in Jerusalem around A.D., who escaped the ravages of Titus, they did flee. They, they left the city of Jerusalem. That's why so few of them were actually killed. But at this time, because they're going to have one of these, they're going to be looking to that Bible going, man, I think Daniel wrote a bit about this. Zechariah wrote about this. We, we know what's going to be happening next, and it's not good for the world. They will have had the book of Revelation. And so fittingly here, Daniel's last prophetic vision jumps to the end of the very last days 
of the of the time that God will pour out his wrath on this earth and the age of grace will come to an end. And so when you look at this, notice what First Thessalonians chapter 4 says. We've looked at it before. It says, uh, the dead in Christ will be resurrected. Then those who are alive in Christ will be uh, raptured to the Lord himself as he comes from heaven and will shout that command, the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God. So we know there's a point in time uh, that the church is going to be removed from the situation. And we know because of what we read in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 19 that the church is mysteriously absent during that time, and yet Israel is not. And so you need to put together all of these books. When people come to me and they say, well, I just don't see that in the book of Revelation. It's because it's not found in the book of Revelation. It's found in the book of Daniel, or it's found in the book of Isaiah, or it's found in the book of Zechariah, or it's found in the book of Joel. The prophetic word that the Lord spoke to the Jewish people, he spoke to the Jewish people. And so where would you expect to find most of it? In the Old Testament, because that's the part they believe. They don't believe the New Testament. So if you're going to speak to a Jew, you need to speak through the Old Testament. If your goal is to save them, the Old Testament better say something about the last days. Otherwise, God hasn't been fair with them. He didn't let them know what was coming. You see, he's let us know what's coming. He said, unless you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. Amen? So to the people that are alive now, we have the revealed will of God that we become saved. The Jewish people did not have that in Daniel's time. So he had to give them something to hang on to that during this period of time with this great turmoil on earth, they would go, this is about us. God's speaking to us again, just like he did to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's keeping his promises. His covenants are true. They're yes, they're amen. And so both the Old Testament, New Testament saints will be those who are in Christ. Because notice it says there in Thessalonians, the dead in Christ doesn't matter whether you were in Christ waiting for Christ like Abraham or in Christ having taken your last breath on this earth right now because you're in Christ. There is one type of person in heaven, those who are in Christ. That's it. There isn't another group. There's not another group of people who got saved by some other way. Uh, that, in fact, is why in Acts chapter 4, the the word was given to the Jewish people. He is the chief cornerstone whom the builders rejected. There's only one way to get there. The Jewish people were supposed to see Messiah. They did not, by and large. They rejected him. They still reject him to this day for the most part. And so that's why Acts chapter 4 says, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven whereby a man may be saved. And so to the Jew. The Jew was hearing the word of the Lord saying, you need to come to Christ. You need to be in Christ because without Christ, you're not getting to heaven. No matter how religious you are, no matter how many times you attend synagogue, no matter whether you, you have a Torah scroll that has been in your family for 500 years, you still need to be in Christ to make it to heaven. And that's the part that is toughest for the Jewish people. That's the part that they still reject. 
we get a little insight in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, and it says uh, that there are really two resurrections according to Jesus. Unfortunately, there's also two destinies that go with those two resurrections. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord today. And those who were dead in Christ are in heaven. But there is another resurrection. It's coming in Revelation chapter 20, and it's also called the second death. Said there in John chapter 5, Don't be amazed at this, for the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice and come out. And so as Jesus spoke these words, it hadn't happened yet. No one was raised. He had not died. He had not cried out from the cross. It's finished. There will come a time. Do you remember what happened, what was recorded after his death? That many who were dead were seen alive? That's what Jesus was saying. He said, don't be amazed at this. I'm telling you in advance what's going to happen. And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who, will done, who have done evil will rise to be condemned. He's speaking of a time that hasn't happened yet. The first one happened. The second one hasn't. There's a time when that's going to happen. It says there in verse 15 of Revelation 20, For this is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. These are tough things to hear. Because when we read these things, we got no worries. Amen? Amen. We're Hakuna Matata in Jesus, okay? We're like, no worries. It's like, just you can sing the song, you can dance around all day long, because you are going to heaven. But not so much for those who don't know the Lord Jesus, because the resurrection they have to look forward to is still yet future, because the unrighteous abode of the dead still holds the souls of everyone who's ever died who's not received Christ. Everyone. But make no mistake, they are going to be raised, but they're going to be raised to perish eternally. They're going to face judgment before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it won't be a good thing. That's why your Bible tells you there in Proverbs 9, verse 10, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of understanding. When, when you get God right, when Jesus is first, you got no worries. I was watching a little news this afternoon, and I'm like, Man, how does somebody without Jesus make it? I mean, Seriously. You, you sit there and you watch what's going on in our world. You, you've got a nutbag in North Korea who produces a video that shows New York being blown apart by a nuclear weapon, and they are singing, We Are the World, to the detonation. We are the world. We are the people. <laughs> like somehow those two things go together. That's the world we live in. There's a time coming when the world is going to come unglued. Because of budget cuts in, in the way our current administration is running things, we're pulling the second carrier group out of the Indian Ocean right now because of budget cuts. We're going to have one carrier battle group instead of two that we've had for over two and a half years. One is not enough if anything goes wrong in Iran. It's a precarious world. And it's not very far from being completely out of control. 
You ever thought about what would happen if Kim Jong 47 or whoever he is now, I don't know, the, the, the baby nutbag that's in power in North Korea? It's what I like to call him, baby nutbag. Sounds good, doesn't it? It's probably not politically correct, but baby nutbag decides that he, he's going to launch a nuclear weapon at the West Coast. You know, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, well, you know, so we lost Los Angeles. No big deal. That's how precarious our world is. Never in human history have we had the situations that exist on planet Earth right now. Never. Not even close. It's it's an unprecedented time in human history. And the biggest part of that puzzle is Israel is a nation. And because Jesus said it will happen after Israel becomes a nation, according to the prophet Daniel, these things are future to us, and they are in view. Amazing times that we currently live in. That's not to be scared. The good news is, we're all going to heaven. The bad news is, not everybody is. That's why we need to be busy. That's why it's a delight to look out at a full house. We need to take this stuff to the streets, so to speak. Amen? When people ask you about what's going on, man, it is so weird. Why do Christians... Sit down and go, here, this is why. I believe this stuff will actually happen. And it's very specific about when. It doesn't tell us the day or the hour. We pick up in verse 4, but you, Daniel. Okay, so now it starts to get even clearer and will remain clearer all the way to the end of the chapter. Daniel chapter 12 here, verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. And so what he's really saying here is, I'm telling you this stuff in advance, here it is, But it's really not for you. It's not for your generation. It is not going to be for the generation that follows you. It's going to be for the time of the end. It's the same end that was in view in verse 40. Same end that was in view in verse 1 of chapter 12. The very last days. And about that he says, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So he begins to to lay out before us a time that we don't know the day or the hour, but we know the times and the seasons, exactly what Jesus said. We don't know what minute, we don't know what day or what week, but we know what the season will look like, the general time that these things would begin to unfold. And we have many pieces of the puzzle. And so here's one of them, the pre-incarnate Christ, the one who's speaking to Daniel in verse 4, says to seal it up. And since this book contains an awful lot of prophetic things, it contains pieces and glimpses of the future, basically what he's saying to him is, Daniel, you have it. The Jewish people have it. The world has it. Those who will become Christians have it. They have enough information. They can look at the world around them and go, man, we are getting close. That's why the study of the prophetic word of God is so important to the Christian. 
I feel sorry for those who don't look at these things and go, how does this apply to me? There are an awful lot of Christians that, you know, they're like, they plug their ears. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear about it. I've actually had people get upset with me. And I actually get that. I understand it. You've got kids. You've got grandkids. You want to see them grow. But the fact of the matter is, you may not get a chance to do that. It creates in us an urgency that we take forth into our world that, you know what, I am not guaranteed tomorrow, and neither are you. Your children may not see another day. Do they know Jesus? Your family may not have another day left on this earth. Not because they're going to get cancer. Not because they have a mitral valve problem that's just going to show up one day. Not because they, they swallow some thing that, you know, is in the air and it's a microbe and it kills them instantly. But because the Lord may rapture His church. And if you can't come to Christ when it's easy now, how many people do you think are going to come to Christ when the Antichrist raises his ugly head and it costs you a bar of gold to buy a loaf of bread? How many people do you think are actually going to be saints during that time? I don't think it's as many as people might think. I think it's going to be so difficult that few will make that test. And so he says, knowledge shall increase. It's going to be sealed up to the end. And what is he talking about? He's talking about closing it up. He's not talking about making it invisible. He's talking about setting this up so that it stays in view, but isn't so much in the forefront that people at that time are running around, oh, man, I think the end's going to happen today. To them, it was very future. And for each successive generation, it has become more and more urgent. And so in our generation, it is infinitely more urgent than it was for those in Daniel's time. In other words, the urgency is what increases as the days draw near. That's why Jesus equated that time to the birth pangs. As the frequency of the birth pangs increase, you know you're getting close to delivery. Guys, you don't know anything about this. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. If you've had a child, you know that once those birth pains get a few minutes apart, all of the resources of the federal government could come into your hospital room and you're still having a baby, okay? The president himself is there. Don't have the child right now. By congressional edict, you may not have this child. So what? Don't care. Baby is coming. That's the picture that Jesus gives. Birth pangs are going to be so close together, there's no stopping it. It's going to unfold. And so it's closed up, it's sealed until the actual very end. In Revelation chapter 5 and 6, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, is the only one found worthy to unroll the scroll. You remember that passage? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And he alone is worthy to unloose the scroll. In other words, Jesus alone is going to unroll the scroll that's going to set in motion all of these tragic events that will happen once the church is gone. That's what's going to happen. Because you and I would biff the time, amen? We're like, okay, 
For instance, most of us right now, you know, it's okay. Start the tribulation right now. It's all right. We're ready to get out of here. But Jesus has in view, maybe there's two billion people in Asia that are going to get saved in, in three weeks. Who knows? To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. Amen? Do you realize how many people could get saved in a 24-hour period if one person who is a Christian today tells one more person, they lead one person to Christ? If each of those people led ten people to Christ, the whole world could be brought to Christ in 48 hours. you realize that? In 48 hours, the whole world could be brought to Christ. If all we did was evangelize and people received and believed and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. So it could happen really fast. We sit around and think, well, you know, I mean, we've been sending missionaries to Africa for 200 years now. We've been sending missionaries to China for 200 years now. There's still a bunch of heathens. Look around the United States. How long have we been a Christian nation, but we're still a bunch of heathens? But when the Holy Spirit begins to move in the very last days, there's a time of apostasy and then a time of revival. And then people begin to give their life to Christ. Man, this could happen like this. It's sealed up until the exact moment that the Lord says it's time. And once he says it's time, it's going to happen like that. It's just going to unfold. It's interesting, too, that John was told exactly the opposite. Now think about this. In Revelation chapter 20, John was told exactly the opposite. Do you know why that is? Because in Revelation chapter 20, it's after the fact. It says, don't seal up the scroll. Don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. What time is near? The second death. The final judgment. Everything's open. Everything's in view. Everybody knows it. The world's gone through the tribulation. The saints are home. The horses are revving up in heaven. Jesus is getting a little giddy-up gallop going on. We as saints are on our ponies trying to figure out which end's north. Getting ready to head back to earth. So John in Revelation is told, don't seal it up, man. Reveal it. Because from John's perspective in Revelation 20, what he's writing about is the imminent second coming of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation fills in some of the details that we have revealed to us here in the book of Daniel. There are several ways to kind of understand this increase in knowledge, and I don't want to belabor this, and there's a lot of speculation. But I do want to tell you this. Right now, as we sit here tonight, two to three years from today, knowledge in the world will have doubled. Do you understand that? That means that from the time that these words were written to today, it took almost 2,000 years for mankind to gain enough wisdom to pass into the time frame that we live now. In other words, you went from Okay, I got me a little bronze implement here. I have an iron warhead if I'm a Roman. I got a few things like that to putting people on the moon. It it took that long to get there. So 2,000 years, we're kind of stumbling around riding ponies. You know, I mean, the bottom line is warfare was roughly the same for almost 2,000 years. 
the American Civil War. We saw the, the great increases in military technology that brought along things like the submarine and iron-sided battleships and things of that nature, the machine gun. We learned how to kill people a little bit better. Finally, after 2,000 years, we stopped shooting bows and arrows. We stopped launching fundamentally flawed missiles at each other made out of gunpowder, which are nothing more than skyrockets. We can really kill people now. Now we have a president that says it's okay for us to fly drones and kill our own citizens. That's an increase in knowledge. You know where they fly those drones from? Florida. Joint Operations Command. You had a guy sitting in a booth in Florida flying a drone over Afghanistan or Pakistan that has a presidential order to pull the trigger on an American citizen. That technology took us exactly 22 years to develop. From the time we started thinking about it to full implementation to the fact that we can globally sit here tonight and do things that we could not do 20 years ago. Knowledge now increases. It doubles roughly every two to three years. Those of you that have been around in this for a while in this last 40 or 50 years, you have seen from when computers were the size of buildings to your cell phone having much more computing power than the largest supercomputer of the 60s. Okay? Your cell phone has more computing power than the largest supercomputers of the 60s that put people on the moon. That's your cell phone, okay? You don't know how to use it. It's smarter than you are, but take my word for it. It has more computing power than those computers of the 60s. Knowledge increases. So from the view of Daniel, there was a lag time of about 2,500 years where mankind was, was ostensibly stagnant. We didn't really go that far. We didn't progress that much. Yes, some wonderful things happened like penicillin, a vaccine for polio. We had some knowledge that increased during that time, but it's happening exponentially faster now. It's not just kind of ramping up a little bit. We're able to process information at speeds that boggle the mind. We can't even think of the way things are happening now. So it says here that from the time that Israel becomes a nation... They're now a nation. It says at the end times that one of the signs of the end times is the increase of knowledge. From Daniel's perspective, I would say when knowledge is increasing at that rate, I'm thinking we're a lot closer than Daniel was. How much closer? Don't know exactly, but I know closer. During the period of tribulation, these words that were written to Daniel will become an open book to the world. They're going to make all the sense in the world. People are going to look at it, and they're going to be able to go, boom, 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 that happened, this happened, that happened, this happened. Done. Right now, we're still looking at it a little bit askew. We have a tough time putting the battle of Gog and Magog. Is it part of the... Tribulation, is it before the tribulation? Does it start before the tribulation, continue into the tribulation? There's a lot of little questions that we might look at and go, well, I'm not really positive on that. After you've seen two-thirds of the world's population destroyed by war, famine, pestilence, like the world has never seen, I'm pretty certain you're not going to have those same questions. 
I'm pretty sure you're going to look at the world and go, we're in it. And at that point in time, you're going to have to make a choice. Because it's going to be very clear that this was true. You see, it's sealed up to some degree even still today. There are people that don't believe, oh, you know, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. And to some degree, that has a measure of truth to it. But it is becoming less and less likely that people can avoid what this says as these things come into view. For those of you who've never been on the, you know, you, you, you planned the major vacation. And you hop in a plane. I'll use the Hawaiian Islands for an example. In your mind's eye, you, you have a picture of what Hawaii looks like. And you've looked at the brochures. And, and you decide you're going to the Hawaiian Islands. I'm going to ruin all of your evenings right now. And, and you hop in, you, 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 you save up, and you plan the trip, and you pay for the trip, and you go to the airport, you get on the plane. While you're getting on the plane, they're playing the theme song to Hawaii Five O. And you start thinking through all the things you've seen on Hawaii Five O, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know, I can't wait to get there. Can I say to you that as you go across the ocean, all of a sudden you kind of lose sight? Amen? It's just like, man, there's some clouds and some water and it doesn't look anything like it. And you're, and you're flying across this space, but you've begun the journey. And you've got a little bit of an understanding of what Hawaii's like. And there you're looking and you're look, waiting for it. Then all of a sudden the captain comes on the intercom and he says, we're going to be landing in Honolulu in 30 minutes and we're beginning our descent into the Honolulu International Airport. And about that time your mind starts to wander and you're like, I wonder if it's really like that. And then you, you swing around and you come in on final approach and you're looking down the coastline and there's Waikiki and you can see the Arizona still sitting there on the bottom of Pearl Harbor. And all of these things that were fixed in your head as maybe someday in the future I'll get to see that start to come into view. And then as you come into land, as you get really close, man, that was a palm tree just went by the window. And then you get out of the plane and it's like the wind hits you. And the Malka showers come. And I am leaving right now to go there. <laughs> and, and it all of a sudden becomes very real to you. And you smell and the, the moisture that's in the air that we have none of right now. That's why we all look like prunes. <laughs> We've been in a dehydrator for months. And all of a sudden, it is t- your everything about you senses that you are now in the Hawaiian Islands. That's the way these passages are. We're kind of looking at the brochure. We're kind of studying it. We bought our tickets, haven't we? You got them in your back pocket. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Get you on the plane to heaven. You see, we're sitting there thinking about those things, and we can think about it because we've seen the pictures in the book. We go, yeah, it looks like that. Can I tell you, we're out over the ocean already. We're someplace coming close to final approach. One of these days, we're going to start descending. And about the time we really start descending, because your Bible says so, in the last days there will be a great apostasy, we're going to really ascend. We're going to go vertical, as they call it in aircraft technology. We who are alive and remain are going to meet him in the air. Amen? It's like, we're out of here. The plane's going to come in for a landing, 
And it ain't going to be what people think. It's going to be really bad. It's going to look good for about three and a half years. Notice where this goes next. And then Daniel looked and stood there with two others, one on the riverbank, the other on that other riverbank. And the one who said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? He asked the question, How long? And then I heard the man clothed in linen, that would be Jesus, by the way, who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and then his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever. So Jesus is swearing by God the Father who lives forever. You got the picture? As God is my witness. That's what he's saying. It shall be for a time and a times and a half. This flies directly into the face that of that time no man knows the day or the hour unless you understand what's being talked about. Because this isn't the timing of the rapture of the church. This is the timing of the last three and a half years of the tribulation of days. And so when the Antichrist does set himself up to be worshipped as God in the temple in Jerusalem during the tribulation... From that time, they're going to know exactly how long they have. And he says, It shall be for a time and a times and a half when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. So it says, When the Jewish people finally have come to the end of themselves. You get the picture? It's still talking about the nation Israel. It's not talking about us, because we aren't going to be here. We're going to be long gone. The plane's going to come in on final approach, and we are going to disappear through the roof of the plane. Out of here. Gone. History. Adios, amigo. See ya. Bye-bye. And that was not a racial slur. That's just me being silly. Political correctness. Don't you love it? I could have used Portuguese. Maybe I should have. Or German. And it says that the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. Right now, the Jewish people are pretty powerful, aren't they? They're one of the greatest militaries on the face of the earth. They have the third best economy in the world. They have the most stable currency in the world. They have produced about two-thirds of the world's finest scholars of the scientific achievements that, that occur each year. They're responsible for about 50% of them that are of major in, in origin. Things like cell phones, stuff like that, supercomputing powers, the Intel chip. Uh, those are all Jews. You see... One day, that's not going to buy them much. Although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, he says, Yahweh Adonai, what shall be the end of these things? He asked a very simple question. He says, what's going to happen? Because remember who Daniel is. He's a Jew. Amen. I think he gets it. He understands it's going to be sealed up. It's not going to happen next week. wouldn't happen next month. From Daniel's perspective, I'm sure as he finished out his life on this earth, he's thinking, wow, when's this really going to come down? 
It's because it's talking about when the Antichrist terror is unleashed on earth, and after two and a half years, that, that period of three and a half years, excuse me, is, ex- is expended, all of a sudden the Jewish people have been miraculously saved by the angel Michael. They've been sheltered from an attack from the armies of the north, from the army of the south, from the massive army of the east of 200 million men, and now the Antichrist focuses in on the Jewish people. And he says, you're the problem. And he pours out his wrath. Everything he's got is going to go into destroying the Jews. The good news is, he's not going to win. It's wayward Israel that needs to be broken and returned to their God. And that's hard to say. It is. It's hard to say. But it's also very true. It is wayward Israel that God has in view. And he's told them this before, and it would be the next book if we were going to continue. It would be the book of Hosea. And there in chapter 3, in the first five verses, it says this, And then the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. And though she's loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. says, Israel's been a prostitute. That's what he says. He's gone wayward. And though they turned to other gods and loved their sacred raisin cakes, and though I brought bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley, then I told her, you are to live with me for many days, and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live for many days without a king, without a prince, without sacrifice, or sacred stones without an ephod or an idol. Many days, yeah, like 2,000 years. And afterwards the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. One day they're going to get to meet David the king because he's saved. And he's coming back with Jesus just like the rest of us. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings In the last days. Notice the timing of it. The very last days. So after the second half of the tribulation, Israel will be beaten down. So we continue in verse 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Again, he emphasizes this over and over again. He says, This isn't now. This is the time of the end. It's the very last days of the time of the end. He now says it's the last three and a half years of the tribulation. He reminds Daniel, Get this. Because this is for you. It's for the Jewish people. It will be closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white. How are you made white? There's only one way. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. Amen? To stand in the presence of the Lord, how much sin can you have? A zero. How do you get there? You must be saved. There isn't any other way. The Old Testament saints died in faith, waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were held in Abraham's bosom. Jesus first descended before he ascended. He emptied out the righteous half of Abraham's bosom. And they now reside in heaven with the Lord, just like all of the saints who take their last breath on this earth today. 
But there are still unrighteous people waiting judgment in hell. They're still there waiting their final end. And so those who are left here on earth are the only ones who can be made white. Amen? You can't be made white after you're dead. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you can pray for people who are dead. If you're praying for dead people, let me just, without trying to insult anyone, if you're praying for someone who's dead, you're too late. They took their last breath. They are gone. They are in Sheol right now. If they did not have Jesus, they are awaiting the second death of Revelation 20. They can't be prayed out. They can't be prayed for. doesn't matter how much you baptize somebody for it. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say. They're gone forever. Because while you're here on this earth is the only time you get an opportunity to make that choice to believe and to receive. You exit the earth, your days have been numbered finitely. And so he says, many shall be purified. That means that they will be purified during that time of these last days. Not purified after the fact because they're already dead, but purified in the fire. Made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And so he makes it very clear. This is why I have told you, those who are carrying around this in the very last days, who have been preached to by you guys, but you're not here anymore, your house is empty, your kids are gone, you're gone, the church is empty, this building is now back to a bar. Okay? Those people that came in here and they sat down, they said, Pastor Jeff is a nut. He actually thinks that Satan's real. They're going to be pulling out, uh uh-oh. Are you kidding me? Uh, this thing appears to say that during the last three and a half years, hell's going to break loose on earth. And hell broke loose on earth. Matter of fact, there's been four nuclear wars in the last week. And they're going to be wandering around, and these words are going to be very real to them. The wicked shall understand, those, none of the wicked shall understand. People who reject the truth, reject the truth. Period. They love darkness. They'll be trying to explain it away. Well, you know, the world's always been evil. We'll come back. We'll save the world by being green. You know, this was global warming that caused all of this. It's climate change. You know, if we had just all eaten more hummus, pita wraps could have saved us. If you love hummus and pita wraps, praise God. But I know people who are wandering around going, you know, that's what we need to do. You know, we need to, we need to recycle everything. The only thing that needs to be recycled is your heart. It needs a makeover. Extreme makeover. God edition. He takes your heart of stone and gives you one that's soft and pliable. Hallelujah. From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away to the abomination of desolation that is set up. So now we tie it to Jesus' words in Matthew's Gospel. From that time, couldn't have been from Antiochus Epiphanes, who's been dead a long time. 
It has to be from the time that the Antichrist defiles the rebuilt temple that is not there in Jerusalem yet. From that time, there shall be 1,290 days, and blessed is he who comes to the 1,335 days. Now notice the two numbers, and I believe there's a reason for it. You see, it's going to take some time to regather all of the people, to bring people to Israel to worship the Lord, to sanctify the temple, and to do all the things necessary in those last days. So three and a half years, 30 days, and 45 days, and bingo, the millennium starts. He says, but you, Daniel... Go your way till the end. And this is what he says to each of us. And think about this. This is a personal promise for you too. You you can make the jump here because it's true for each of us in Christ. But you, Daniel, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. You, You see, that's where it crosses over and we all join forces. Because it isn't going to matter whether you're a tribulation saint or whether you're a saint today or you were an Old Testament saint that got really surprised when Jesus showed up down there in the Abuso and set the captives free. The net result is heaven forever. And so Daniel ends on this very upbeat note while saying there isn't going to be any atheists, there's not going to be any agnostics, nobody's going to be sitting around going, well, there just wasn't enough evidence. You know, I just can't believe that Jesus stuff. I'm pretty sure when you see most of the world destroyed and the nation Israel miraculously survive, think about it for a second, what this actually means. If it were to happen today, if this were to start to happen this very day. Say there's three and a half years of peace and then the tribulation ensues. At the end of the tribulation, a vast majority of the world's population, by some accounts, maybe as much as three quarters, depends on how you read the various scrolls and the trumpet judgments and how they all, are they the same, are they in addition to, but if you put them together in their most extreme form, three quarters of the world's population will be wiped out in one way, shape, or form, if you assemble them all together. And during that time, the world will be at war like the world has never been at war. I had a tough time sleeping last night, so I watched the History Channel. That usually does it for me. I was watching the great tank battles of all time on the History Channel. And so first was the Battle of the Bulge, and then it was... Erwin Rommel and his Africa Corps, okay, against the British in North Africa. That's pretty amazing stuff to think, you know, you have on the British side in North Africa, you have 1,100 tanks, and you got Rommel and the North Africa Corps and 350 much more sophisticated panzer tanks, tigers, and they're shooting at each other, and eventually Rommel loses, but I'm sitting there thinking... That whole battle took place just the other side of modern-day Tripoli in Libya. And at the end of it, about 50,000 guys were killed. We are talking probably four and a half billion people will die during the tribulation. 
and yet the nation Israel, which today is comprised of about 8 million souls. That's all that lives there that are Jewish. About 8 million. They're going to survive while the whole world comes unglued. It's as if you, it's as if you took some little tiny, you know, in, insignificant population of, of native peoples to North Africa, maybe some Tuaregs of Mali, and you placed them in the middle of the British and the Germans as they fought this humongous battle. And the shells are flying everywhere, and they're out there with their turbans on, and they've got their swords, and they just kind of keep going back and forth, and somehow they all live. You don't think that the world isn't going to know? The world's going to look at this and go, it's what it says. And because of that, the Jews are also going to know. And that's why Paul said that all Israel one day will be saved. Because they'll know. And that's why we can say, I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor famine nor peril or sword, nor anything else that's ever been created can separate you from the love of God. Amen? That's in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this stuff. Because when you know it, you go out and live it. And when you live it, other people are going, man, there's something significantly. You mean you're not worried about all these? Well, I'm, I'm concerned. But I'm more concerned about my eternity than I am concerned about whether you know, mortgage rates drop. Or whether we solve our national debt crisis. I'm concerned about whether people are right with Christ. Because that gets you into the kingdom. Because this world and everything on it is one day going to burn. And you want to be part of that heavenly crew that comes back with Jesus, not the crew that's here when he gets here. That's not a good side to be on. It's going to cost you your eternity. Share the love of the Lord with everybody you meet. Amen? Great book, the book of Daniel. Father, we thank you tonight for your truth. Lord, we thank you for the windows that we have that give us a glimpse into those days that still lie future for us. And Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of Daniel to you and that example to us. We thank you for the word that you spoke through him as a prophet. We thank you for his persistence in prayer. May we have that same persistence. Lord, we thank you for your own testimony in all these things, that you will one day cause us to rest and rise. Lord, we know that when we take our last breath, uh, we're going to inherit the great things that you have planned for us. And Lord, we stand on those promises. We want to know you better. We want to let other people know about you. And so, God, let our lives be as Daniel's was, a testimony to the true and the living God, the God that loves us, and has a plan for our lives. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We just give you the glory and the praise for your word, and we pray that you'd help us to be mindful of the times that we live in so that we might know how to live. And so, God, we love you. We bless you. We give you our lives, Lord, again. Use us, we pray, for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Go dare to be a Daniel next week, Nehemiah chapter 1. Also an incredibly exciting book.